the round reminds us we're all active participants as we stay on this journey together. We're all here to receive something this morning. We also all have something to give. So as we soak in the grace and truth of God's love, we can also spread God's love to one more person. As you probably know, this time next week, it is Christmas Eve. That means to all you procrastinators, you have about seven shopping days left. That doesn't really, you know, matter to me, of course. I make handmade popsicle crafts for everybody on my list, because nothing says love quite like a handmade popsicle craft. But if you don't do that, you might want to go out and and, uh, grab some stuff. The other thing we did, because last week it was such a big hit, is we set up again the second this week the resource table. So over the years, we've created these resources that we think could help people. So I've written three little books. The newest one is the orange one. It just uh, got released, and it's about Christmas. The timing couldn't have been better. And then, uh, of course, the Lake Forest Davidson musicians have created a CD of original Lake Forest Davidson music, and that'll be out there too. So the books are free. Uh, The books are free. If you would like to cover the cost of your book, that's $5, and that's how we print more. So if you can cover, that's always helpful, but it's certainly not expected in any way. Those are free. The CDs are $10, but we're giving all that money to our mission partner, Access to Success. So it's a very cool thing. And so I guess what I'm saying is if you're a real procrastinator and know you're not going to go shopping later in the week, then you can just buy everyone on your list a Lake Forest Davidson CD, and they'll, they'll love you forever. This actually what I get everyone on my list this year is going to be, I was kidding about the popsicle sticks, I'm going to get them my books, because that's not pretentious at all. Uh, That's not at all. So my 11 month is, she loves them. She's going to love these books, and she'll chew on them for years, and then, uh, then maybe one day. So the other, another thing, and you'll hear us talk about this more in the new year, is going to be mission trips. Throughout 2018, we're going to take a number of Mission trips as a church, mission trips are an opportunity for you to join in God's work somewhere around the world. I've been on a handful of mission trips in my life, and it always unfolds kind of the same way. Going into the trip, I tell people about the things we're going to do. We're going to help kids in an orphanage. We're going to build a house with a family in Mexico. That's going into the trip. But after the trip, I remember the trip for the people I met. So I went on my first mission trip, say, 20 years ago to Budapest, Hungary. I can still tell you the names of the orphans at the orphanage. I don't remember much about building a house in Mexico. This was probably five or so years ago, except two things. Number one, I should not be building houses. And number two, we did it with Nora and her family, and her neighbor, Senor Sanchez, came over and helped every day. So I remember those experiences not by what we did, but by the people and by this overwhelming sense that God was at work in those places and and those people long before we got there and was still going to be active in those people and in those places after we left. So then I started thinking, isn't that how I and maybe you often relate to God more generally? that we often come to God hoping for a specific outcome or event. We come to God hoping for a new direction in life. We come asking for a resolution to a persistent problem. We come looking for relief to a source of pain. And certainly God does care about those things. 
Yet, as we discover more about God, we find that God is more than a cosmic problem solver. God wants to have a different sort of relationship with us than just being a cosmic problem solver. So while God does care about specific outcomes, specific events in our lives, He cares about other things too. In fact, He may care about other things more. And ultimately, a relationship with God starts to reorient us, starts to reorient our lives. Through loving God, we're going to get swept up into something bigger than ourselves. And it starts to reorient our very lives. We're going to watch this same kind of thing play out today in that Luke 2 passage that Joe read for us earlier. As the shepherds encounter Jesus, they will come to Jesus thinking it's going to be one thing, and what they will find is something different. So we're continuing this series of sermons. We're looking at how people worshipped Jesus, the newborn or the anticipated Christ. So a few weeks ago, Holly started off by showing how Mary responded to Christ, the news of Christ, by saying yes to God, and that that is worship, saying yes to God is worship. Then last week, Dr. Bud looked at the wise men, the magi, or you could say the magi. You can pronounce it either way and how they responded to the birth of Christ. They bowed down, they gave gifts, and then they went home a different way. And so today, I want to extend that to the shepherds who were in that passage that Joe read earlier from Luke chapter 2. How did the shepherds respond in worship to the new Christ child, to the baby Jesus? So Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, at the point we're picking up at in verse 8, Jesus has just been born, to which Mary would interject, easy for you to say. It was not a nonchalant, Jesus has just been born for Mary. It was a big thing for Mary. It was a big thing for humanity, because Christians believe Jesus is not like any other person ever born, that Jesus is fully God and fully human, that the God of the universe wrapped himself up in humanity, wrapped himself up in human flesh, and came into our broken and wounded world in order to redeem it, in order to reconcile us back to God. Right after Jesus is born, verse 8, we learn, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. So shepherds were not viewed very highly in this day and time. They lived outside. They took care of animals. They looked and smelled like they lived outside and took care of animals. Shepherding was not exactly a lucrative profession with a lot of upward mobility. And so when God says to himself, to whom should I first announce the birth of Jesus? The answer is, to shepherds. Now this tells us something about the character of God, something about the heart of God, that God draws near to those who are poor and powerless, that God draws near to those who have been humbled by life. And so God sends an angel, that could also be translated messenger, God sends an angel to share the good news with these shepherds. And at first the shepherds are terrified, and then they start to hear the message. Verse 10, the angel said to them, do not be afraid, 
I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. So the life of Jesus, the message of Jesus, the death, the resurrection of Jesus could be summed up by these words, good news, great joy, all people. That should be our series next year for Christmas. Good news, great joy, all people. Verse 11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So the angel, God's messenger, says, someone has been born, and this person is a Savior. This person is the Lord. This person is the Messiah. Savior means rescuer. It means redeemer. Lord means king. This is the person under whose care you live your life. Now, Messiah is a religious term. Messiah means the rescuer of God's people foretold throughout the Old Testament. The rescuer of God's people foretold throughout history. Messiah is a Hebrew word. And if you make the word Messiah into a Greek word, you get the word Christ. So Messiah and Christ mean the same thing. They are actually the same word. Don't ask me how. I'm not a linguist. Many of you know I struggle to speak English most of the time. I struggle to pronounce that restaurant uh, Chipotle. So how, how the Hebrew word Messiah and the Greek transliterates to the Greek word Christ, I can't give you all the details on except I do know they are the same word. The, old, the ancients understood this. It's the same word. So, well, for instance, when you hear Jesus Christ, that's not Jesus' last name. It's a title. His last name was Jones. It's a title. Jesus the Christ. Jesus Christ. And what it means is Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Savior foretold throughout history. Christ is a title that means Messiah, that means Savior foretold throughout history. So the angels say, how will you know you found this Savior, this Messiah, this Lord? You will find a baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. And then a group of angels appear and praise God, singing a very simple song, which we will look at on Christmas Eve. Verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So the shepherds head off to Bethlehem, the town of David, to see what? A newborn child? The Savior, the Messiah, the Lord? They head off to see, look at their words, this thing that has happened. That's fascinating to me. The shepherds do the very thing that you and I do. That they're fumbling towards God and looking for an event, an outcome, 
a thing that has happened, a thing that they want to happen, a thing that has a clear beginning and a clear end so that they can get their hands around it and their minds around it and their hearts around it, but they are about to get swept up in something bigger than they could ever understand. They are about to get swept up in the current of God's work. They are about to discover the very nature of God, but they are going looking for a thing that has happened. Verse 16, they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, I repeat, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. So the shepherds hurry off. They have an excitement about pursuing God, even if they don't have a good idea of exactly what they're getting themselves into. Maybe you can relate to that, that you have an excitement about pursuing God, even if you don't know exactly what you're getting yourself into. They set out to find an event, a thing that had happened, an outcome, but what they find in the manger is a person, and a person that changes their lives, and it happens when they had seen Him, Him. What did they set out to see? A thing that had happened. What did they actually see? Him. In other words, the shepherds started to pursue God, hoping to find an event, an outcome. But what they found was a person, a living being that transformed their world. You ever see those gumball machines? where you like put in a quarter, you turn the crank, and then the gumball comes down this very elaborate slide, and you get to chew on some of the nastiest tasting gum you've ever had? Okay. God is not a gumball machine. Where you or I put in a prayer, or you or I put in a good deed, and we turn the crank, and God is obligated to send some good thing our way. Because that's a very transactional relationship. And what you and I will discover is that God wants more than a transactional relationship. God wants a real relationship with us. God wants a person-to-person relationship, one living being to another, the Creator loving and being loved by the creation, the Creator knowing and being known by the creation. The truth is that you can love the author of this story this story. You can serve the author of this story, the author of your story, who also became a character in the story, so that your story, so that my story does not need to be a tragedy. Your life, my life, can head in a new direction because redemption is real. Restoration is real. Reconciliation is real, but it's not easy. It came at a very high cost. The God of the universe wrapped Himself in humanity to live and die and resurrect so that you could know that restoration is real, redemption is real, reconciliation with God is real, and it came at a high cost. Verse 17, when they had seen Him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, 
And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had to say. When they had seen Him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So they set out to find an event, but they found a person. And in doing so, they realized what I hope you and I realize, that God is doing something far bigger than they ever imagined. And God is doing something far bigger than you and I have ever imagined. The shepherds stood in awe as they looked into the deep and the compassionate eyes of Jesus. They realized they were looking at the main character of this whole story. That they, the shepherds, had been invited into the main narrative arc of the whole story. That the story was not about them. They weren't the main characters. Their lives were merely a small subplot. Now, a more important subplot than they would have realized, because all they did all day was stand out in the field with animals. But it was not the main narrative of the story. The main narrative of the story was laying in that manger. And they stopped trying to get their minds around all of this. They stopped trying to get their hands around all of this. They stopped trying to get their hearts around all of this so that they could just join in the work that God was doing. They got swept up in a current bigger than any of them, bigger than they could even fathom. What did the shepherds do with that good news about Jesus and God's work? They went and told others. They could not keep it to themselves. But you'll notice nobody told them to do that. The angels didn't tell them to do that. Mary and Joseph didn't tell them to do that. God did not tell them to do that. Jesus did not tell them to do that. Now, at this point, he's less than a day old. You could cut him some slack. No one told the shepherds to go and tell others. They did so willingly and excitedly, astounded by Jesus and what God was doing in the world through Him. This is their spontaneous response to Jesus. Now, of course, this continues today. Once you become captivated by Jesus and God's work in the world through Him, you don't have to keep it to yourself. If you find a new restaurant you like, you find the right ways and times to tell that to the people you love. If there's a political issue you care a lot about, you find the right ways and time to share that with other people. Hint, rants on Facebook, not a good way. If it's a half-day, half-off taco day at Taco Bell, you get the word out, especially to your pastor, right? But when it turns to Jesus, when it turns, turns to what Jesus is doing in my life or in your life, in the way that He's changing us or transforming us in some way, when we want to talk about how Jesus is giving us life or meaning or joy that we didn't previously have, sometimes we get a little tongue-tied with that. We don't know exactly how or when to bring it up with the people we love. Now, I'm just going to tell you, I have no concern that people in this church family are going to browbeat folks with Jesus. I don't have that concern. I might have that concern about some church families. I don't have that concern about, about y'all. I don't think we're the sorts of folks who are going to go browbeat people with Jesus. I think for us, 
the, the struggle of being able to talk about Jesus and what Jesus is doing in our lives or we hope is going to do in our lives is that we are not experts. We don't feel like experts in all this Jesus stuff. And we hesitate to talk about things where we don't feel like experts. Because let's be honest, none of us have advanced, actually, a few of us have advanced degrees in how to talk about Jesus. And I can just tell you, they don't help. You don't feel any more confident talking about Jesus because you have a master's in your back pocket. So what are we to do? What are we to do? It can feel awkward to talk about things we don't have expertise in. Verse 17, when they, the shepherds, had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So the people were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Why? Was it because they were so eloquent? Probably not. They were not educated people. I think the shepherd's effectiveness came from the power of the message and the unassuming nature of the messenger. That in the same way the amazing God wrapped himself up in rags, the amazing message of God got wrapped up in everyday conversation by everyday people as unpaid, non-expert, non-professional people could say, I don't know everything, but I can tell you that I've experienced Jesus, that God is doing something in the world through Him. God is doing something in my life through Him. He has made me new, and He is still transforming me, and He lets me join into His work. Now, many of y'all could stand up here and make this point better than I could. Because the truth is, every week that goes by, I meet someone who it's their first time coming uh, to our church, and almost always it's because somebody invited them. That same thing will happen on Christmas Eve. The same thing will happen every Sunday in January and February. I know it. As ordinary people, everyday people, using everyday language, are willing to share about what Jesus has done in their lives. That may sound crazy, except it's the message of Christmas. The amazing God got wrapped up in the everyday. It was His choice. That's what He wanted, so that redemption and restoration and reconciliation could be real. This is my point. Spreading the good news about Jesus is worship. Finding the right way to share about God's work in your life or the ways that God has been good to you, the ways that you're finding joy and meaning through a relationship with God, sharing that news with other people is worship. Not keeping it all to yourself is worship. Inviting others to come and be transformed in the glow of God's grace is worship. In the same way that singing is worship. In the same way that paying such careful attention to this sermon is worship. In the same way that saying yes to God is worship. In the same way that bowing before God is worship. In the same way that giving to God is worship. In the same way that being transformed by God is worship. It's a heartfelt response 
to the work of God in the world. It's a heartfelt response to the work of God in your life. And you do something that says, God, I acknowledge your worth. I acknowledge how wonderful you are. That's where the word worship comes from. Worth-ship, ascribing worth or recognizing worth. And that's what the shepherds did. They recognized the value, the worth, the amazing thing that was happening in that manger. That they wanted to be an event, a thing that had a beginning and an end so they could get their head around it, their hands around it. They realized that's not how God operates. He's sweeping us up into a current that we may never fully understand. That doesn't mean we don't get to join in and join in the work of God in this world. There is an amazing river that's flowing, and anyone can be washed clean in its waters. There is a warm fire that glows, and any heart could be revived there. I'm not trying to force this on anybody. I respect people's right to choose, but I believe these things deeply. I believe that Jesus makes people new and gives us a purpose, lives of purpose, so that we can join in something bigger than ourselves. And I want people to know that. I want people to live for things bigger than themselves. Just like the shepherd's message thousands of years ago, there's something bigger happening here. Come and see come and see. And then the folks say, well, let's go see this thing that has happened. And they will find it is not an event. It is a person. That sometimes makes things a little bit messier. It also makes things better. So, let me ask you this question as I start to wrap up my little piece of the service. How can you worship God more fully in light of what we have learned from the shepherds? as we continue to head towards Christmas and then into the new year, how can you worship God more fully in light of what we learn from the shepherds? And what do we learn from the shepherds? Well, they learned that it was a person instead of an event, that we are pursuing a person instead of an event. They stood in awe of how grand God's work in the world truly is. And they were so overcome by that that they told others about these things. They invited others to join in. So what could you or I learn through the worship of the shepherds? What might our takeaway be from these shepherds? It's the amazing part about what God does. He takes some folks who lived outside and worked with animals, and looked and smelled like they lived outside and worked with animals, and makes them the teacher of millions of people throughout history. That's what God does. He doesn't always use the best and the brightest. That tells you something about God. So, as we prepare for Christmas a week from now, I also want us to remember where the whole life of Jesus heads, because Jesus was born in a manger, but He grew up, and His life led Him to a table, sitting with His disciples hours before He would be crucified and three days before He would resurrect. He looked at His disciples, He broke bread, and He said, this is my body, it will be broken for you. 
after supper, he took the cup and pouring into it, he said, this cup is my blood. My sacrificial love will be poured out for you. So then whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim Jesus' death on your behalf until He comes again. And so as we prepare for Christmas, as we begin to get our hearts and minds around what this means, I want to give us a time right now of extended prayer and reflection. And also a time when Christians can come and receive communion. So we'll have six stations around the room where you can do that. Two in the middle and the four corners. They are all the same except for two. In that corner is the kneeling station. In that corner will be the gluten-free station. At any of the stations, you could come, take a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, and receive it there. If you are a Christian, no matter what branch of the family tree you fell out of, I would encourage you to come and receive today. If you've very recently become a Christian or today you would like to become a Christian, I would encourage you to come and receive as your way of sort of putting a line in the sand, of your way, as your way of saying, I've decided to follow Jesus. I'm committing myself to Him. If you're not there yet, if you're still kind of exploring the whole Jesus thing, we are so glad you're here and hope you enjoyed this time of prayer and reflection, so rarely do we get times of quiet in a busy world. And we would look forward to the day, maybe one day soon, when you would want to come and receive the bread and the cup because you too have decided to follow Jesus, to commit yourself into His hands. If we can help in any way in your search or your questions or your doubts, we would love to help. All right. Let's pray together. Join me in prayer. Lord, at this time of year, it just feels like a lot of what we have is a to-do list, a really long to-do list. So in this moment, we pause from that to even ask, why do we have a really long to-do list? The reason that in a week there's a holiday is that 2,000 years ago there was a holy day, a day on which you, the God of the universe, made it clear to us that you're not distant. You're not far away letting us sort out all our own problems and then you'll come in at the last minute once we've got it figured out. You are with us in the midst of it. You're with us in the midst of the mess. You're with us in the midst of what's not working out right. You're with us in the midst of our poverty. You're with us in the midst of our shortcomings. And you've chosen to take your message of good news to the world through everyday people who are non-expert, non-professional people. Lord, as we see the sacrificial love that you have for us, that you would wrap yourself in humanity and move into the neighborhood, 
that you would be willing to die and resurrect for us? And we compare that to ourselves. And we have a list of reasons you should want nothing to do with us. And there are other places in our lives where we have extinguished our ability. We are out of our own resources. And all we can do is depend upon you. In this quiet moment, would you just talk to God about those things? Would you just talk to God about those same themes in your own life? places where you are or are beginning to see how deeply you need His forgiveness and His constant companionship. Just talk to God. Lord, prepare our hearts to celebrate. Prepare our minds 